Welcome to Shakespeare Alive, a podcast from the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. Hello, welcome to Shakespeare Alive. My name's Angela and we're joined in this episode by actor Freddie Fox, whose work includes the popular television series, Multiple, Year of the Rabbit, Cucumber, Parade's End, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, The Pursuit of Love. He played notorious murderer Jeremy Bamber in the award-winning series White House Farm in 2020. And on the big screen, he's played Louis XIII in The Three Musketeers, President of the Riot Club in the film adaptation of Laura Wade's play Posh. And he can be seen in blockbusters King Arthur, Legend of the Sword and the 2015 film Victor Frankenstein and in 2022's Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris and this is by no means an exhaustive list. Freddie took to the other side of the camera for his directorial debut in 2018 with his short film Hero which he co-wrote and produced for which he won the Directorial Discovery Award Grand Prize at the Rhode Island International Film Festival. So hailing from what I suspect might be Britain's most beloved theatrical family, Freddie is a remarkably gifted stage performer. He's played all over the country in musicals as well as drama from Shakespeare to Stoppard. His award-winning performance as Romeo at the Sheffield Crucible in 2015 helped a great deal when he found himself, at very short notice, replacing two injured Romeos in Kenneth Branagh's 2016 production. And most recently, Freddie starred as the Prince of Denmark in Tom Littler's 20. 2022 staging of Hamlet for the Guildford Shakespeare Company. Hello, Freddie. It is wonderful to have you on Shakespeare Alive. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very grateful. What was your route to Shakespeare, Freddie? Well, my route to Shakespeare, I mean, of course, for most young people in England, it comes through school and you learn the plays and all uh, you read some of the plays and you do some sort of elementary study on them. And and so I suppose, I mean, that's where, you know, I, I started reading them, but it wasn't really my route to Shakespeare. My route to Shakespeare was sort of more, uh, slightly more off the beaten track and a bit more organic than that less forced because I, I've come from this fa- a family of actors and my dad has played so many parts and so has my mother but my dad particularly has this extraordinarily retentive memory even now he, he you know he, he's got an, a sponge of a mind for, for for words and he would sort of religiously really just speak out sections and um, and, and, and speeches of Shakespeare that fitted whatever moment he was doing, whether it be doing a bit of gardening and talking about the plants and goes into the good Duke speech from As You Like It in the woods, or, you know, whether he's, you know, railing against some mad politician, then he starts to, you know, quote bits of Polonius or whatever. That was where it began to, where the poetry began to meet real life. And it was quite annoying sometimes. I would just go, oh, can you just not talk in Shakespeare? Can you just answer me, please? And I still do that now. But it was nonetheless there in the cosmos all around me. And so the school bit happened and it was kind of dry and a bit dull and and I didn't really pay great deal of attention to it then. But when it came to being offered to play Romeo the first time I did it, a lot of the speeches and a lot of the, the play was already in me from those early days with dad. And I went, oh, this is extraordinary. 
And I went off on a trip to Verona with my agent. We went on holiday, a kind of, and my agent said, brought loads of essays for me to read about the play and, you know, gave me, you know, a complete work, not a complete work, a, work of the, a book of the sonnets. And we just sort of sat by the pool and we're just sort of going through all of this stuff. And I started writing my own sort of very bad sonnets. And then I went, oh, it's, it, it's all linking back to those early days around the kitchen table with dad. And now it started to become a passion, of a, a true passion for me. So that really was my, my route into Shakespeare. What a wonderful route to Shakespeare, Freddie. I love your phrase, it's part of the cosmos for you. That's extraordinary. <laughs> and when you came to Romeo, was that, in, was that the Sheffield Crucible where you played Romeo first? And what age were you? I think I was 25 or 24, mm. 25, I think, maybe. Mm. And what was the experience of playing Romeo actually like I mean was he the way he spoke and the way you performed him and then embodied him the first time round? was it what you were expecting or was there something in the language or the play that was maybe a little surprising or unexpected I mean less so with Hamlet because he's famously intelligent but I was te- I was surprised by Romeo's intelligence I think I think a lot of the time he's thought of as being a bit of a kind of you know you know star-crossed and sort of star you know and sort of like but sort of like dull-brained lover and he's far far from that he's madly in love and obsessive but he's also so quick and so fleet of foot both in his body and in his mind and I and I was quite glad that I was starting to write out my own poems in meter because it it got the intelligence of the of the of the gra- of the grammatical structure into my into my body before I started performing it. I can imagine. And do you like? Do you write now as well? Do you continue to write? I do. I I, I have sort of phases of being very um, <laughs> very uh, loquacious with my poems, and they sort of suddenly they'll come five or tumble out in a torrent of about a week or two weeks. And then I won't write any for two years. <laughs> so um, I'm currently in the doldrums. I haven't written any for a while. <laughs> what's, your, what's your poetic style? Are you a form person or are you more of a sort of rhythm, language? I mean, is there something that your poetry, is there a category that it falls into? I suppose sort of, I'm slightly, I'm slightly sentimental um, and I like rhyme and I, li- I like, rhyme within lines and things I like the poems of E. Cummings I like the poems of you know the sort of bucolic poet you know poets um English poets that write about the English countryside um so I I I, am those are the kind of things I like to write about which is really cliched and I'm not very good but I it, it gives me um it gives me pleasure and I write a lot about where I'm from, which is Dorset. I write a lot about my relationship with my, my father and my parents. And I suppose trying to encapsulate the, the way I feel about the world within little poems. And that is, allows me to meditate on where I am in my life at this particular point. Well, and also being an amateur, you don't have any pressure of having to publish anything. You know, you're never going to be any, I'm never going to be good. So I, I'll just continue to write. It's like me taking photographs. I love taking photographs. I'm, I have been obsessive about it for years. I'm shooting on, on film and going to places in the world that I just really want to remember. And I go, oh, no, I know where I am in my life at the moment. I think I, I, think I know. 
So it's like therapy in a way. I can imagine. And then obviously it becomes a record, doesn't it, for you to reflect on yeah. years after if you if you want to do that as well. Yeah. Wow. So and I hate journaling. I hate I can't do that. But it's my kind of formal journaling. You you played Romeo at the Sheffield Crucible, and I know that you were asked to step in as Romeo as well for Kenneth Branagh's production of Romeo and Juliet. So can you tell us the story there? <laughs> um, the story there is I'd finished doing this, the, the play, the, 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 the Sheffield Crucible production about a year and a bit earlier. I'd wanted to play Romeo with one of my dear friends, Lily James, who we talked about doing it in Sheffield together. And then she got some massive film and, and you know, and I was left Julietless. And then by, thanks to Daniel Evans, you know, and our lovely director, Jonathan Humphreys, they they met Mordebeth Clark, who then ended up being the most amazing Juliet. So then we did that. But, and then I put it to bed and I was in Dorset with my family and I was in our local town where I never get any phone signal. And my phone went off in my pocket. I thought, oh, can, who can that be? And it was my agent. And she said, Lily um, said that both Romeos had gone down. Do I still remember the lines? And if you, if, if I do, you know, would, would I allow her to call Ken Branner and say, look, We've, we've solved the problem, you know, so you don't have to go dark for weeks or whatever it is or come up with, you know, Ken Branagh having to go on himself and read it off a script or whatever. And Lily, of course, there was a kind of joyous delight between the two of us that this, you know, dream we'd had since we were at drama school together might actually come to pass. And so we both got very, 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 very excited. And I went back home and fortunately, being coming from an acting household, there was a copy of the play at home. So I looked through the play and I was like, oh, God, I surely I can't remember this a year later. But lo and behold, you know, I started reading. It. I was like, it's all there. I mean, more or less. And so I then drove to London and went to Lily's flat and she was ill or something and had to like have loads of hot water bottles or be in a hot bath. That's right. She was in a hot bath. Um, because she wasn't feeling well. And so I was lying on my back in the bathroom um, and she was in the bath and we were pretending to do the balcony scene over the lip of the bath together. Yeah, and then, like, so it was about 48 hours after I got that phone call, I was on stage and I had, you know, 24 hours of intensive, intense rehearsals and mainly to do with the fights and the blocking. And I, I just, I was supposed to be so excited about it. I wasn't really even that nervous. I was just really excited that actually I got to get to do this show with Lil. And I remember doing a particular, it's a very complicated blocking around the ballroom sequence where they do the sonnet and they kiss for the first time. And that Rob Ashford was the assistant director on it. And he came from, obviously, he's a musical theatre legend. And so it was all unbelievably choreographed. The light would go here and then a light. And then Derek Jacobi would pass there and you got to go through here. It was like, it was like a made hall of mirrors. And then, but I managed to do it in rehearsal. And I got to the front of the stage and Lil and I did the speech and we circled around each other and we kissed. And, and I was like, yes, we got it. And Rob went, stop. No, 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 no. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? And he went, you kissed a foot off center and I died inside. I was like, you're joking. I'd done all of this with you. And I need, I was, uh, anyway. So we rehearsed it all again. And we'd, and, and I suppose that the thrill of, um, <laughs> the thrill of walking out onto stage 
with all that pressure in the audience knowing what had happened and they were excited because everything could have gone wrong. I was excited because everything could, could go right and I was with Lil. And then I remember just walking out on stage looking at her, like heart going like this. And we both just smiled at each other as we were coming towards each other because it was so like the first time we did the last five years, whatever, how many, eight years before. And it was like, oh my God, this is, what a moment, what an experience. And and um, it was very special. And of course, I did see you play Hamlet with the Guildford Shakespeare Company. Yeah, I mean, that was, um, yeah, fortunately I had a bit more time to think about it than than Romeo but I um again it was just circling in the ether you know from when I was a kid but it's dad's favorite play he's done it three times he knows every word of every part more or less and your dad play he did the voice of the ghost in this production as well yeah Tom our director said you know I I think I want it, the ghost to be a voice. I don't want him to be a physical person. And that chimed with my feelings about it because I, I didn't really go in planning anything to do with this Hamlet or to make my Hamlet different per se. But I did know that I wanted the audience always to be asking the question about his mania or his madness and going, has he lost grip and reality or is he the most lucid person I've ever seen under the most extraordinary and difficult of circumstances so I wanted him to be going from one moment into being like a 12 year old with his mum to being like a sort of a, a, you know a, 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 a despot king himself you know within the space of a sentence or two and so I thought it would help very much to have the ghost as a disembodied ghost not least because the space offers so much in that respect being in a church you know, and the voice of spirits being very much a part of that, literally the woodwork of the building. But also that when he sees the ghost in his mother's closet the second time and is completely paralysed with fear, that you as an audience are going, oh God, maybe he is totally mad because there is nothing there. And so I think that lent itself really well to that. And of course, it was seemed pretty obvious, you know, a, a choice to ask dad to do it. And Tom was very on board with that idea. And watching him record it was incredibly moving. I, I, he was a, he's a, a master of his craft, and but he was nonetheless nervous about doing it. He wanted it to be just right. And and um, he was he was great. Well, he certainly was great to listen to. And of course, you've performed with your father as well, because I saw you both in An Ideal Husband, where you mm. were playing Lord Goring. Mm. And of course, Edward Fox was, was playing your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. been quite a we're fun milking. experience. <laughs> we're really milking it. It, was, it <laughs> is a fun experience. It's, um, it's very rare to have a working relationship with your, with your parents. Um, and I've had a working relationship, you know, with my mom a bit and on radio and with my sister doing readings of things. And um, But with dad, maybe it's a father son thing. I really wanted that experience. And he's always been a very generous parent, which, you know, not all actors necessarily are. And, you know, there's always ego involved. And it's because how could you how could it not be? You need to get up on stage and perform in front of hundreds of people. But he was always so deferential to my ideas and would always listen and would never, you know, impose himself on things I wanted to do. And whenever we disagreed, we'd kind of rib each other and tease each other about it, which is very much the relationship in that play. And I remember us laughing a lot we would laugh a lot together and I again I'm so glad I've had that in my life you know 
we're just going to pause for a quick break. We really appreciate your support for Shakespeare Alive and we'd love to hear from you about how you're enjoying our podcast. So please complete our survey by visiting shakespeare.org.uk forward slash future. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your usual podcast platform. Why not join the conversation on social media by using hashtag Shakespeare Alive? And we hope that you enjoy the rest of this episode. You're listening to Shakespeare Alive with me, Angela, and I'm talking to actor Freddie Fox. One of the interesting things about your interpretation is that Hamlet is drinking, that Hamlet has this dependency on alcohol, which I'd not seen quite to that extent before. So can you tell us a little bit about where that came from? Um, I was just sitting on the train. I worked a lot on the train because we had these journeys into Guildford every day and, and, and back at night, and I was just you know my script was just like covered in notes you could barely see the, the original words and I just one day I thought oh what if he was an alcoholic it would make a lot of sense of why he's able to be so such a bit you know a sort of catty bitch at the beginning of the show he's he's his tongue is loose and his his, his inhibitions are totally disappeared because he's drunk and then it would also give him a more satisfying arc to going from this drunk person who has no control and is unable to sort of bring anything together to suddenly being given this amazing slap by the ghost and going, oh my God, I've got to get my shit together and, and, and give up this, this dependency, which I'm just fusting in. And then, you know, you see him trying to, you know, furious and raging and wanting to commit murder, but ultimately being too terrified to do it. And his, and a fear of, a real fear of death and a real fear of the afterlife and what it may hold, having seen his father fasting and fired. By the end of the play, having come to terms with the, the probability of his own death, being at peace with that and being a calm centered man who Fortinbras quite rightly says would have been a wonderful ruler if he'd lived and I thought well that's that let's take it to those extremes that's the arc the the the, the, the you know the boy who can't literally stand up because he's so drunk to the man who is so grounded and and ready to receive his death as and when it comes and delivers some of the most beautiful lines ever written about if it, you know, if it be now, it is not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now yet, it will come. It's the readiness is all. The readiness is all. Exactly. Did you have a sense when you were performing it of time, like how much time passes? How long is Hamlet away in England? You know, are we talking years? Are we talking days? Are we talking months? And did that help you with this transformation? Yeah, it's a really good question, and 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 something Tom and I talked about being that being the moment where he shifts when he comes back, he's a different person. Obviously, Shakespeare does that wonderful thing where he compresses time effortlessly, but I think in reality it must have been a couple of weeks or maybe a month. So when he lands and sees Fortinbras's army, he goes, "Now is the time." You know, if I if I if I'm not going to do this now, I'm worth nothing. So I think probably enough time has to pass, both where he is almost killed by Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and is able to dispatch them, then is almost killed by these pirates and is able to be become 
close to them, really confront death and how close in a sliding door sense, how close he was to coming that way and then going, doesn't matter when it comes, I'm ready for it. So whether it be two weeks or a month, I, I can't really remember, but something like that. You mean you've played a murderer before? So um, on, on television. But did any of that sort of like the mindset of actually taking another person's life occur to you when you were playing Hamlet? <laughs> Tom and I talked about it a lot, of, again, going, you know, he's a person able to murder people and that he's often very entitled. Let's not forget he's a principal. And I, and I wanted that. I was like, I don't want him. I, I mean, yes, he speaks for all men. But he is not a normal person in the way that the people in succession are not normal people. You, you'll th you think differently and see the world differently on the basis of your different set, state of privilege. And so I think when you've been raised that way and you, you know what you want, nothing necessarily needs to get in the way of that. Added to which Shakespeare knows that the audience are going to be on Hamlet's side. And so a murder of Polonius is not like Jeremy Bamber murdering a child. It's different. It works structurally in a more forgiving way than the realities of a murder. He needs to kill this guy for the sake of the story. And, you know, you have to find out a way that that becomes acceptable. Shakespeare helps you by the fact that Polonius is a nosy, irritating spymaster and that actually he had it coming. But added to which Hamlet at that point, is so sympathetic to the audience because his father has been murdered and he has been wronged so horribly. However, he is also dealing and grappling with the notion of death from the minute he comes on the stage, seeing his father's coffin in our, in our production, seeing the ghost of his father and burning in the afterlife. Suddenly, death is not just an abstract idea that feels a long way away and something that feels egregious to even come, you know, even even to, to even think about and frightened to be think about and certainly to inflict it on anyone else. In fact, your dad is saying, I'm burning in hell from a sin committed by your uncle. Death suddenly is right there. So when Polonius does whatever he does and Hamlet does what he does, death is all around him at that point. It's not like, oh my God, I killed someone. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm falling. I'm falling into to death anyway. So it's, he's great sort of taking people with him. Um, so I don't think he sees it in the way of a kind of an empath at that point. He, although there is empathy there, he does weep for what is done. He does go, oh, my God. But then he's got too much is happening to him for him to kind of really go. <gasps> you don't go into a kind of state of of terrible grief. Oh, God, what do I do? You go this, 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 this. And that's what he does. And then he sees the skull of someone he knew and loved. And for a moment... It becomes so sweet and so sad and so longing and so evocative of his childhood. And, and, and as you know, I have many Yorick's in my life who have died. And, so, and you become very emotional about it. And then you remember something silly they did and you laugh. And then the world keeps moving. And by that point, he's got the plot is pulling him at like a thousand miles an hour. You don't have time. He doesn't have time. The audience don't want him to have time to indulge. You move on. And that and that is a great metaphor for his state in the play at that point. He is moving forward into another realm, as a realm of being at ease with death and then ultimately the realm of death itself. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, performing in the church and performing with the Guildford Shakespeare Company? Mm, they're brilliant, the Guildford Shakespeare. I have such admiration for them. 
you know, when Tom Littler said, I do this, you know, I sometimes work with this company and we, you know, I, we'd, we'd work in this church and I thought Hamlet in a church. And I was like, I'm in. I've seen Hamlet so many times and often been very bored by Hamlet in a black box theatre where it doesn't have a spiritual feeling to it. And it's a very spiritual play about grief and the afterlife and death. And I was like, that is the place to do it if you're going to do it. It was hard in the church. It was really hard acoustically. And especially when I hadn't been on stage for three years, you know, vocally, it was like, whoa, wake up. But, you know, it was it was worth it for the experience of doing it in that venue. Is there a particular play or is there a character that you want to perform? I mean, I'd love to play Benedict. I'm 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 actually I've got it right next to me. I'm going to be reading. I'm going to read it again. Again, it has a wonderful relationship the center of it which is both funny and and sparring and also very beautiful and moving and i think that would suit me that my my natural um kind of won't as a as an actor and as a person is you know as i say trying to find the funny and the naughty and the playful and i think he is all of those things i think it's a wonderful play and i still remember i saw it at salisbury playhouse or somewhere like that ages ago and i remember loving the benedict then and i was could only have been about 10 or 12 but i thought oh he's funny I'd love to play Henry V uh, uh, and, or how perhaps. I'd like to do a lot of Shakespeare. I'd, I'd love to. I think, I, I think it, it suits me and I like making it not difficult to understand. I hear a lot of actors go, oh, I, it's just too difficult. And I'm like, it isn't. If, when you, I, and, I, and I get worried about it. I go, oh God, it's going to be really hard. And it is hard. Yes, it is. It is. But it's a worthy fight. You then look at the, you read the play and you go, oh, this isn't as hard as I thought. This is just, you know, this is just going to be a great, great challenge. And, and, and as, the sooner I get it in my body and my mouth, I can start to play with it and open it up. And then an audience don't won't find it difficult to understand. And, and and hopefully then some people in that in that audience will go, oh, that meant something to me. And I think there's so much easily available entertainment on TV, particularly. I think I want to try and do stuff that's a little bit more, I don't know, a bit more, a bit trickier, but a bit just make you feel like you've gone a distance and it was worth it at the end of it, you know, teaches you something. I mean, the words, the good Duke speech and as you like it, I can listen to dad say that again and again. And it's so true about where we are in the world now, let alone 500 years ago. And what we're missing about our observance of nature and the way the natural world moves and changes around us and how in need of us it is now. It's as true now, more true now than it was when he wrote it. And I just sort of think, that's the stuff worth grappling with, you know. Would that be, I mean, do you imagine doing these things in theatres rather than, you know, to a camera? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's great to see a good Shakespeare on screen. Sometimes there have been some good ones. It's not meant to be there. It's meant to be on stage. It's always at its best on stage because he's, all, he's constantly talking to the audience, literally talking right to them. And yeah, you can look down a camera, but you know a million people are seeing this. You want to feel like you're the one he's being, you're the only person he's talking to at that moment. It's it's meant to be in the theatre, and that's what I want to do. And it's where it's hardest, and so consequently where it's where it's most worth doing it. But when we think about Shakespeare now, what do you think his value is to us and to the, the next generation? He's of limitless value. I think probably the gift he's given this nation 
and the world, I can't think really of any single one individual that's probably given something that is more innately good. I mean, there are extraordinary inventions that people have come up with, like the internet or chemotherapy or whatever. But all those things, extraordinary and game, life-changing and wonderful that they are, have a dark side to them as well. They have pain. They have um, anxiety. They have, they have just simply a darker edge. There is no shadow side to the works of Shakespeare. And they tell you so much about the world we live in and the world we're going to live in. If we if we pay more attention to him, I'd love to think that the generations as we go on pay more attention to his wisdom because they will in turn become wiser. And I'm on a journey of it with it myself, and I'm still quite near the beginning. I should be further along, really, but anyway, I'm still I'm on it, and I'm really happy to be on it. And as I say, he addresses every subject you can imagine and writes the best poetry about it to help one understand it whether it be the works of despots like, you know, Vladimir Putin or the interpersonal difficulties of couples like in Much Ado or dealing with people you don't understand like Jeremy Bamber, that happened. And, you know, it, it does with Iago or you dealing with our relationship to the natural world, which is in all of his plays, but certainly in, in you know, in, in As You Like It and um, Cymbeline, it's all there. And so I think further generations will always take from it if they're interested and they will always be there and they should rightly be lauded as one of the great treasures of the human world and bad productions of which there are many aside, you know, that's okay. We're, we should all be trying to find a way into them. And sometimes you'll sit down in front of Mark Rylance doing Twelfth Night and cry with laughter and think oh this play could have been written 10 years ago and go oh my god it's that good and then it makes you know five difficult boring productions worth it going back to the next one what would you say we should be collecting or what would you deposit in our collection if it could be anything in the world oh, wow I mean, I think obviously, and you do it. I've, I've been looking at your museum online that, that you know, you children's voices about what the, the stories, even just the basic archetypes of the stories mean to them is really powerful because you see it being inculcated into young minds and being able to help them frame their own views on, on the world they live in. And that's beautiful because there's no better templates than these Shakespearean stories to start what, grappling with, you know, the bigger questions of life. But I, I think as a photographer and someone who loves the English countryside and someone who loves Shakespeare's writing about the poetry of the English countryside, I think a sort of volume of, of photographs and people in those photographs, in the environments that he's writing about, whether it be the, the woods of Midsummer Night's Dream, you know, or tongues and trees, books in the running brooks sermons and stones and good in everything whatever that is i'd love to see that that book in the running brook of you know a river and stream in warwickshire with an actor or with a young child sitting looking at it or just something about the places of shakespeare in england i mean he wrote so extensively about the world having never probably seen any of it but having heard about it that's wonderful but he knew england like dickens knew london i'd love to see a book of 
pictures with people in them in those places well one day maybe we can make that happen when you were looking at at the stuff in our in our museum freddie was there anything that stood out to you was there anything that you thought oh i really like that yeah i mean got lots i mean i loved the um there's a you've got a collection of, of things that might have been in his house into the interior design furnishings i mean i'm a sort of you know an antique furniture whore myself so I, mean, I loved looking at all those things just as a point of view of personal pleasure the same with your you know victorian costume designs you know using elizabethan means and how that has been modernized and come into our age but i think probably the thing that meant most to me was hearing how there was a sort of uh, one about anxiety dealing with anxiety and there's a quote from the tempest i think about my be still my beating mind or something like that and about how the words of Shakespeare and the words of other poets that have been inspired by Shakespeare can help you deal with the anxiety of everyday life and help young people deal with the anxiety of everyday life which I thought was very in this age of technology 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 distraction 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 I thought that was really that was really great oh that's a really lovely way of putting it Freddie Thank you so much. This was such a fantastic conversation and it's been such a pleasure to have you on Shakespeare Alive. Thank you so much for having me. It means so much that you asked me to come on and I'm just very grateful to have had this time to talk. Thank you for joining us on our fourth outing of Shakespeare Alive. If you've enjoyed this series, please head over to our survey and leave us some comments and feedback. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you once again and farewell.